So what does it mean to be prepared? What does it mean to be prepared? It means to, to just have the resources that you need, the knowledge that you need to be able to act when the moment of necessity comes. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou We all get a little thrown off by the change of seasons, myself included. And of course I prepared a sermon that I planned to preach from the pulpit, forgetting I took the pulpit out. <laughs> For the Advent season, so, um, but there's some quotes I didn't want to. I didn't want to misquote, so I've got this in front of me today. Um, I'm going to ask Alyssa, can you go down one screen and let's see if what I hope happens happens. Be prepared. Y'all remember that? He does. I knew Tim would. I knew Tim would. <laughs> that was the that was the Boy Scout thirty second promo music in the seventies. <laughs> it always fell right between Super Friends and Schoolhouse Rock on Saturday morning, and um, and I remember that music every time I come around to these texts and I think I need to preach about preparation and I hear that song in my head because. I wanted to be part of the Boy Scouts when I saw that commercial. I mean, that commercial was amazing. You know, it, it showed guys doing things they probably wouldn't show anymore. I mean, it, it showed them working on engines. It showed them fishing and hiking. But then it showed them working on engines. It showed, actually showed them boxing. I don't think they'd show that on television today. Um, but I just thought, that, oh, that looks like so much fun. Um, and it made me want to be part of it. So, so what does it mean to be prepared? What does it mean to be prepared? It means to, to just have the resources that you need, the knowledge that you need to be able to act when the moment of necessity comes. Now, what keeps us from being prepared most of the time? Well, of course, there's complacency. Preachers are always talking about complacency, right? A sense that the time of testing will never, ever come. And it always, always does just never when we expect it. But there's also distraction, right? And I think this is an increasing problem in our world where these little machines we carry around buzz and ping and always are trying to get our attention. Um, a, that distraction is just a lack of awareness of how our present activity or inactivity is going to suit us or not suit us when the moment of need comes, the moment for which we're to be prepared. Now the chief distraction that we face, and this is not a truth that Christians alone recognize in the world. This was true. The Stoics knew this. Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and all those ancient philosophers knew this well. The chief distraction we face is our unschooled and uncontrolled appetites. These things, to use the biblical word which is flesh, war against the spirit. 
We are meant to have control of our appetites so that our appetites don't have control of us. So what are some of those appetites we face? And I think the ancient world was more honest about this. It grouped them all together instead of trying to separate them out and think you could do each one individually. It understood that all these things were urges we felt and we needed to learn how to have control of ourselves. Of course, sex is the big one everyone likes to talk about. When we don't control our sexual urges, what we end up with is broken hearts and broken relationships. And that's evident all over our culture. The appetite of food is one. For food is one we want to control, too. If we don't control that, we end up by wrecking our health. And in the worst case situations, we end up taking too much for ourselves and our gluttony and ignoring the needs of those around us who legitimately need some of what we have. There's the desire for revenge. In our Romans passage we just heard, that's listed as murder, right? That's the commandment against murder. But the desire for revenge, if not controlled, can give birth to violence on both the political left and the right. It gives birth to white supremacy and it gives birth to Antifa. And there's, of course, the desire for things. This is a constant distraction. Billions and billions and billions would not be spent on advertising if it didn't work. (laughs) The can lead to stealing. There's a commandment against that. But there's also a commandment against coveting because when we're always hungry for the next thing we don't have, we're never satisfied with the thing we do have, no matter how good it is. And then we miss out on the peace that comes with satisfaction. Finally, a peace that passes all understandings. This, these, are, these are the things that distract us from being prepared most often. But what we're to be prepared for, and this is lifted up in all of our readings today, is what we call the end times or the second coming or the final judgment. And... Um, it's always a bit of a jarring thing for us. I don't know what, what kind of Black Friday uh, rituals you guys have, but when, when our crazy feast of Thanksgiving is over and we wake up Friday morning, for us, we don't like the shop. So Black Friday is the start of Christmas for us. The, the Christmas music comes out and it plays all day long while we decorate first, well, this year it was first one house and then another house. So we, we just went crazy. We're doing everything. I'm listening to Christmas songs all day long and I come to church and there's no Christmas music. There's this stuff in these really dark minor keys because we're hearing end time stuff. Final judgment stuff. And if there's a theme in Christianity which most modern people would wish to dispense with, it would be the theme of judgment, especially final judgment. And I think think there's something profoundly right about that. Not because we should be embarrassed that the world doesn't share our values, but rather because when we are uncomfortable with the idea of final judgment, we are in tune with the heart of God. God does not desire the judgment of sinners. It's a final and last resort. Here's a passage that comes up frequently during Advent from the prophet Ezekiel. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? 
Not rather that he should turn from his way and live? What was the most famous passage in Scripture until recently was John 3.16. John 3.17 builds on that same theme. Here's John 3.16. You all know this one, right? You can probably say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. That's 3.16. And 3.17 goes on. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Even the most famous Christian speaker of the 20th century, famous writer, C.S. Lewis, admitted to this discomfort in his book, The Problem of Pain. Gave a whole chapter to it. This is the big quote I wanted to have in front of me. Um, It's not too long. It's only a paragraph, but I did want to get it right. He's talking about the book. He says, It's admitted that the pain which alone could rouse the bad man to a knowledge that all was not well might also lead to a final and unrepented rebellion. And it's been admitted throughout that man has free will and that all gifts to him are therefore two-edged. From these premises it follows directly that the divine labor to redeem the world cannot be certain of succeeding as regards every individual soul. Some will not be redeemed. There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this if it lay in my power, but it has the full support of Scripture, and especially of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom, and it has the support of reason. If a game is played, it must be possible to lose it. If the happiness of a creature lies in self-surrender, no one can make that surrender but himself, though many can help him to make it. And he may refuse. I would pay any price to be able to say truthfully, all will be saved. But my reason retorts, without their will or with it. If I say without their will, I at once perceive a contradiction. How can the supreme voluntary act of self-surrender be involuntary? If I say with their will, my reason replies, how? If they will not give it. The coming of Christ at Christmas, the first coming of Christ, to which this whole season of the church year leads up to, is God's final climactic step in the long wooing of His people to come home to Him. It is God coming to dwell with us. It is God showing a humanity made in His own image, His humility. So they can remember that that's what they're called to be too. It's God showing the true nature of love by His solidarity with us in our predicament. Through His suffering and ultimately through His death on the cross. And that death In that death, our complacency and distraction and unwillingness to train and control our appetites that leads us to harm ourselves and others, those things are forgiven so that the way to eternal life might be opened. This is God's final gambit to overcome our selfishness so that we might willingly lay down our arms 
end our rebellion and be part of what He is already doing to save the world. Now the judgment is the stuff that makes the keys all in minor and the songs we sing have a kind of dark timbre but there's a flip side to that judgment and that comes out in the prophet Isaiah today. The flip side is this, that's the realization, the full and total realization of the kingdom of God that is already breaking into the world through those who answer God's call and live according to His word. See, this is why, although the texts speak of judgment, the theme for today is hope. For the true, yes, always judges the false, and the good always judges the evil, but that's just because they won't be part of what they are not. The truth can't be part of falsehood without becoming false. Good can't become part of evil without becoming evil. And our passage from Romans speaks to us of what citizens of that kingdom will look like. They will be those who keep the law willingly, doing no harm to their neighbor by their steadfast refusal to follow their own moral intuitions and instead following the dictums of an all-knowing and all-loving God. The Boy Scouts' motto is be prepared. This isn't a motto of any of the armed services I know, but it's one I've heard every veteran use. The theme of every military, every branch of military service is this. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up, get ready, and then wait for your orders. This is God's message to us on this first Sunday in Advent. Hurry up and wait. We are, after all, the church militant, the church that is still engaged in that spiritual warfare with sin, death, and the devil, and yes, our own flesh, our own appetites run amok. So we should hurry up and get prepared because, yes, the end will come upon us suddenly. The marching orders will come, and we need to be ready to move. But we do so not because we're afraid of those orders coming, because, not because we're afraid of the second coming of Christ, but because that coming of that final end means the fulfillment of all good things. The establishment of the kingdom of the Christ we proclaimed king last week. And as Isaiah reminds us, that king, and this is the, this is the message of hope, shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. In this era of international saber-rattling, this is a message of hope for us to hold on to with both hands. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious, good, and heavenly God, we hear about the judgment that we bring upon ourselves when we turn away from you and chase after things that cannot ultimately satisfy. And it scares us, and rightly so. But we know that you have joined us in the midst of our struggle. And you are like us in every way, though without sin. 
Grant us to turn to you for help in the midst of our struggle as we seek to be prepared, as we seek to conform our lives more and more every day to your word. Help us turn to you and confess our sins and receive the forgiveness that you are always more willing to give than we are to receive. And help us, Lord, to conform our lives to your will so that we may cease to hurt ourselves and those around us and we may be filled with your Spirit and live in the joy and peace that only you can bring. These things we ask in your most holy name, which is forever Jesus the Christ, for you live and you reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my life.